Chapel West Grove. If you guys could please stand, we're going to pray and ask God to bless our service of worship this morning. Uh, let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, we are so happy, so thrilled, so thankful for this time to be able to come and to worship and to hear from you, from your word. God, there's nothing that delights our heart more than seeking you. And so, Lord, you tell us to seek you first, your kingdom and your righteousness, and all things will be added unto us. And so as we seek you, I pray that you would provide rich blessings for your people today in the spiritual realm, Lord, that none would leave disappointed, discouraged, Lord. God, that you would lift burdens, that you would encourage hearts, and that you would meet people here in a real special and powerful way. That's what we're here for, Lord. We want to see your face. We want to see your glory. We want to feel your presence in our life, Lord, because everything we need is found in you. And so, Lord, would you just do something amazing today, Lord? God, we don't want this just to be a Sunday where we come into this place and sing some songs and hear a message and leave. Lord, we want to leave different. We want to leave closer to you. We want to leave, uh, Lord, just overwhelmed with your goodness and your grace in our lives, God. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do this by the power of your spirit, Lord, that people would be delivered, that people would be set free, that people would be healed. Lord, these are all things that only you, Lord, that you alone can do. And so, God, we give you this time. Lord, we believe in you. We believe in your work of your Holy Spirit. We believe that you desire to do something. And so we want to see that done. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. We all say amen. Across the aisle, that was risky. Sheesh. Man, we're pretty progressive here. We're going, we're breaking down the aisles. Good morning, and so thankful that you guys are here. If you guys have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 3. And uh, before we get into our study, I just want to say hello and greet each and every single one of you guys once again, whether you are here or online or in the fellowship hall. Welcome. Also, I'm aware that it's so easy to slip in and out of this place without somebody saying hello to you. If you're a first-time visitor, I want to take time out of our service to say hello and welcome you. If this is your first time, will you just give me a wave and say hello? First-time visitors, anybody here? We got some over there. Keep waving. Keep waving so people can see you. Yeah. That's, hey, that's my guy. Good beard, man. I like that. Good to see you. Well, hey, guys, we're so thankful to have you here, and we'd love to connect with you. Fill out one of those connection cards, but also shake my hand in the foyer. We got a little gift on behalf of our leadership team here, and uh, so excited. Um, I tell you what, man, isn't worship amazing? I just cannot wait. That's heaven. It's a small glimpse of heaven. People think it's going to be walking around in mansion and obviously watching the Dallas Cowboys. They're America's team, but God's team as well. That's not, that's not what heaven is. It's just... Oh, amen. Uh, that's the most exciting she got all year. I like that. But I tell you, it's about worship. We were created for God, by God, to worship God. And it's just something amazing. It's directed towards him. But as we lift our praises and our hearts and our eyes to him, it's something amazing happens. Burdens are lifted and hearts are encouraged. I just can never get tired of singing I love you, God. I love you, Lord. Um, people sitting next to me probably got tired of it real quick. They're like, hey, can you, can you get a little quiet? But it's just absolutely amazing. Another thing that God just really ministered to me on as I was worshiping this morning, that's simple. The second song, he will never fail us. He will never fail. Isn't that powerful? Look to your neighbor and say, he will never fail you. Now tell the other neighbor he'll never fail you. If you get just that this morning, 
Anything on top of that is a cherry on top. That we can leave with the understanding the truth that God will never fail. People fail. People let us down. But God will never fail. No matter what you're going through today, I'm sure in a room this big with this many people, there's something heavy upon your heart and something heavy that you're going through in life. And to know that God will never fail you. Give it to him. Leave it with him. And he will never fail. Let's close in prayer. Father, in Jesus' name. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. It says this. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it will be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will also suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. The Apostle Paul writing this letter to the church in Corinth, this portion in chapter 3, it's about building. It's about foundations and very important topic that we need to understand as believers. And we need to remind ourselves that this wasn't to non-believers, but believers and specifically to the church in Corinth. That's who he's writing to, but it is equally important, helpful, and applicable for each and every single one of us today. And so as we see, Paul begins in verse 12 by talking about building on a foundation. And it's important, I mean, a foundation is very, very important. It's very, very pivotal for each and every single thing that we do. And so we need to understand and ask ourselves, what exactly is he referring to? What foundation? What are we building upon? Well, for us as believers, from the moment that we place our faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, all believers begin to lay a foundation. From that moment on, salvation takes place. We place our faith in Jesus Christ. It says, for as many that received him, he's given them the right to become children of God. And at that point, we begin to build a foundation. And everything and anything that we do for God is building upon that foundation of faith. It starts with faith. Placing our faith, we're saved by grace through what? Faith. So at that moment, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, the foundation is laid in anything and everything we do for Christ and and the kingdom is building upon that foundation. Now, practically speaking, we know that a foundation is pivotal and of the utmost importance on any building project, any construction men and women out here. It's so important. The foundation, it's got to be sure, it's got to be pure, and it's got to be sound as you begin to build up. Now, again, I don't want to stand up here and act like I know anything about construction. Okay, I don't even own a tool. My wife does all of our handyman work. She's got a belt. It's pink. I'm not joking. Like, I just want to, I don't want to give you guys a false sense. Like, oh, man, Eric really knows his building. I know I lost some of the respect with the guys. Like, I knew he was a little weird, but I just don't, I don't know how to swing a hammer. I don't know how to do anything, but Man, my weakness, my wife is made strong. She's like, get out of the way. You know, it just starts building away. It, it's amazing. I'm just like, wow, that's, that, that's awesome. And it's no pride in that. It took me a long time. It actually feels good confessing that before you guys. So thank you for, thank you for listening. And, uh, but I don't know anything. But I do know that a foundation is very, very important. And for us as Christians, our foundation needs to be none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul spoke about that very clearly in verse 11. Draw your attention to uh, chapter 3, verse 11. It says, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. 
That is the foundation for us as believers. That is what we build upon. Everything we do, it starts with Jesus Christ. And even though the church in Corinth, the Apostle Paul spent several, several months pouring into them, teaching them this truth, they knew the importance of the foundation, that it had to be sure, that it had to be pure, and that it had to be sound and built upon Jesus Christ. They knew that, but even though they knew that, they still tried to mix and add things to that foundation, which was in Christ. They knew, but things began to creep in, and that's what we talked about. That's what this letter is. They began to allow the culture to dictate, to dictate things that were going on in the church. So the Apostle Paul preached month after month after month, telling them it's all about Christ. It's all about Christ. And then when he left, other things began to creep in, and the foundation began to get muddied and mixed, and it wasn't pure and sure anymore. One of those things that began to creep into the church was human wisdom. This was the intellectual capital of the world. Philosophers would sit around and they would talk about different topics, deep truths and, and things of this day and this time. And those things that seemed right in man's eyes began to creep into the church. And so the foundation which was upon Christ began to get mixed and it began to get muddied. They knew it was about Christ, but they began to kind of mix it up. And human wisdom is foolishness in the eyes of God. Time and time again, if you try to merge the two together, you will be confused, you will be lost, and you will be disheartened because God's ways are so much higher than ours. It's just a, a mystery of God, the way that he works and the way that he moves. But they were mixing in human wisdom with the truth and the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's not just them, is it? Even us from time to time, we know as believers that it's all about Christ, that our foundation needs to be in Christ, laid and built upon Christ, but we try to mix it in and to bring other things in it as well. Building upon things or placing hope upon things that we know are not secure, that we know that aren't sure, that aren't pure. And every single time it lets us down, doesn't it? Anything other than the foundation that we build upon in Christ, it's seeking sand. It doesn't stand. It's not sure. At times, we can begin to put our hope and our foundation and our trust in things like wealth and our finances and our portfolio or our job or relationships. And these things change and these things fade away. And they let us down every single time. The parable of the builder in Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49 beautifully illustrates the, the folly and the foolishness of putting your trust and building your foundation upon anything but the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus taught this in Luke chapter 6. He says, anyone who comes to me, hears my sayings and does them, I will show you who he is like. He is like the builder who built his foundation upon the rock. And when the storms, when the, when the floods rose and the storm beat violently against that house, it said that house made it. It endured because the foundation was upon the rock. He says, he who comes to me, hears my sayings and doesn't do them, he is like his man who builds his house upon the sand. And when the floods rose and the storms beat against that house, what, house, what happened to that house? It fell. It says in that house, the ruin of that house was great. And so we see that there's only two houses being built, one upon the foundation of the rock and one upon sand. And Jesus is that rock that we need to build upon. And when the storms come, we can stand and we can endure and we can withhold because our foundation is upon him. He will never fail. He will never let us down. But we continue to put in other things. And next thing you know, the 
comes crashing down. And anything and everything that we put in front of God, it lets us down every single time. It doesn't always appear that way in the beginning. It took me several years to realize this, thinking that this is what life is about, or I'm going to place my hope and trust in this. And everything that I put it in, it would just come crushing down, leaving me broken and empty and ruined until I found Jesus. And so I came to know him and laid my foundation upon him and him alone. Now the, the storms still come. I would love to sit here and tell you that as a Christian, there's no storms in my life. I would love to tell you as a Christian, there's going to be nothing but beautiful sunny days and you're going to get woken up to little birds outside of your window singing zippity doo da, zippity day. I would love to tell you that, but that couldn't be further from the truth. You see, there's only two foundations, but the storm hits them both. But the problem is if we're not rooted and grounded and building upon the foundation in Christ, the ruin will be great. And so we have to ask ourselves a very, very important question this morning. What are we building on? What is our foundation being laid upon today? And if it's anything other than Christ, I don't have to tell you that it's not sure, that it's not pure, that it's not a sound foundation. Apostle Paul would go so far as to say there is no foundation other than that which is in Jesus Christ. So what are you building upon today? Is it Jesus? Is it Jesus and? It needs to be Jesus alone. And so in context here, the Apostle Paul is talking about building up the church and doing eternal kingdom work. Everything that we do is building the kingdom of God and building up the church of God. And it's important part that even if you're like me and you feel like you have no skills in building, that God desires to use you. We all have a part in building up of the kingdom. We're all a part of it. Like, oh, I don't know. I can't. That is a lie of the enemy. The Apostle Paul talked about this a little bit in verse 9 of chapter 3. He said, for we are all God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building." We are fellow workers, and we have a responsibility of building and laying the foundation and building upon it. And we are fellow workers, co-laborers with God. And so are we working? Are we building? And that's so beautiful that we are fellow workers. I love that. Because it's important to understand that we don't think too highly of ourselves. Oh, we're workers. I, I can do something. I have a responsibility. That's great, and that's a blessing. But we also need to be, be reminded that he doesn't need us. But he allows us. Think about that. He doesn't need us to build up his kingdom. He could do it any way, anyhow he desired. But he allows us to be a part of the building and the furthering of his kingdom. I love that. Because oftentimes it would probably be better if he just did it himself. If he didn't incorporate us. You know, I, I remember my younger son, Jude, is, he's quite, he has an opportunity. Uh, he's an entrepreneur, man. I tell you what, this guy's had... 20 businesses already, and he's only 14 years old. He's sold airplanes. He's drawn. He's just a hustler. I hope the Lord really gets a hold of his life, because if not, he's going to go down the wrong path. And, um, but I tell you what, man, I remember one time he's like, Dad, let's, let's start a restaurant. We're going to cook for the family and sell them food. I said, we can't do that, buddy. We can't sell, our, <laughs> we can't sell people in our house food. And so, you know, he, but we would cook. Every once a week, we would, and it was called Jude and Pop's Place. And, you know, we would make something, and he was, 
very, very little, and he couldn't cook to save his life, but he was excited. This was his restaurant. We were going to, you know, if his sister wanted to eat, she had to buy a plate, and, uh, and, you know, and so, you know, I'd be like, all right, buddy, you crack the eggs, and he wasn't very good at cracking the eggs. I was like, okay, let me crack the eggs. You know, after a couple of meals, you know, the food's going down and the shell is piercing people's esophagus as it's going down. And, and so I said, I'll crack the eggs. Next time you whip the eggs. And I'm like, oh man, every single thing that the young man was doing, he was ruining. But he was so excited. Man, he thought this was, he thought it was a real deal. And you couldn't tell him anything different. We have a restaurant. And he is a master chef and business restaurant near like he was doing his chest was out and he was just walking around like it was the greatest thing. And I would look at him and I think, man, this would be a lot easier if you just sat in there and let me cook a little bit. Not that the food would be any better, but just, <laughs> just, just let me handle this. I could be more efficient. I could be more effective if I did it by myself. But after I saw that smile on his face, his shoulders back and his chest out, and he really thought that he was doing something. Man, I just said, all right, buddy, let's go and let's do this together. And I can't help but think that God has that same heart. As he looks down upon us and he says, I want to use you in the building of my kingdom, in the saving of souls, the ministering of people. I want to allow you to be a part of something so special that I was willing to go and send my only begotten son to die for. And I know that he looks down at me and he says, Eric, what are you doing? You have no, I should just do, but he just delights in me. He delights in you. And he delights in us being fellow workers in the building up of his kingdom. It's so amazing. Now with any building and any project, there's materials that are needed. And Paul lists some of these materials. In verse 12, he says, there's materials like gold and silver and precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. And these materials here, they're, they're symbolic. There's a spiritual symbolism here that he is trying to get across. And these types of materials, they symbolize the type of work and the quality of work that we do for the kingdom and building up of the kingdom. Now, as we know, if we were at practically speaking of a building project, nobody would say, hey, we're going to remodel the bathroom and just go over to the barn and get some hay and get some straw and get some wood. No, you would want the gold, the silver. So we know that there's two very, very different types of materials here. Now, the question is, at these two different types of materials, picture the different type of work. And so how do we know the difference? For us here today, what type of work are we doing? What type of materials are we using? We're all builders. We are all building upon the foundation. Fellow workers in Christ, what type of materials are we using for our building project? Is it gold? Is it silver? Precious stones? Or is it wood? Is it hay? Or is it, um, what was the third one? Straw, just testing. I knew it, guys. <laughs> Clearly knew that. So what's the difference? What are we using? Well, Paul answers that very question in verse 13 where he says, each man's work will become evidence and the day will show. How do we know what we're using? How do we know what materials? It will become evident. It will become clear on a certain day. Now we're told here this day will reveal what type of work we're doing, the quality of work that we're doing, and what materials in which we have been using. But the question is, what day is he talking about? There will become a day that all believers, we will see the type of work we were doing, the type of materials that we're using. But when is that day? And what day is he talking about here? Well, 
it's important first to understand that this was not a reference to the day that people, non-believers, will stand before the great white throne of judgment. That's not the day he's talking about here, where they will stand before the great white throne of judgment and non-believers will be judged for their unrepentant sin and their rejection of him. That is not the day that he's talking about here. Revelation chapter 20 talks about that day. That's not the day that he's referring to here. Now, for us as believers, remember, he's writing this letter specifically to believers, those who have received Christ. So believers, we don't have to worry about the judgment to come, this great white throne of judgment. We don't have to worry about that. Why? Because our judgment has already been dealt with at the cross. And so the blessing is that we don't have to worry. What a blessing that we don't have to worry about a condemnation now or condemnation to come. There's no condemnation for those who are what? In Christ Jesus. So there's no judgment for us. There's no worry or, or, or penalty that we have to fret or worry about because it's been dealt with. We've received the forgiveness. We've received the pardon. We've received the not guilty verdict when we placed our faith in Jesus Christ. And so the day that the Apostle Paul is referring to here is when all believers must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Well, what's the difference? Well, it's, the difference is it won't be for sin. Our judgment as believers, it won't be for sin and eternal damnation or coming to heaven. That won't be what it is. Um, Paul speaks about this a little more in depth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. 2 Corinthians 5, 10, he wrote this, we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that we will be rewarded for the works that we've done in this life. So our judgment seat's a lot different than the judgment, the white throne of judgment, where you are judged and dealt with because of the sin and your rejection of Christ. Our judgment isn't like that. It's a beautiful judgment that we get rewards for the things that we've done in this life. So this word judgment seat here that we're talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 it comes from the Greek word bima seat. And he uses this word bima seat because this was something that they were very, very familiar with in the time. Corinth uh, was really a capital of the world. And what this bima seat was, it was a platform where all athletes who complete, uh, competed in the Olympic Games, the winners would come and they would stand on this elevated platform and they would be rewarded for their athletic accomplishments for the things that they did, for winning. There was no participation trophies back then. If you won, you had to come and you had to, you would be presented with a reward. Now, for believers spiritually, the Bema seat, what he's talking about here is where our work, the work that we did for Christ in the building of the kingdom, fellow co-laborers with Christ will become evident, revealed, and tested. Our work the things that we're doing for Christ, the building of the kingdom, it's going to be revealed. What kind of work it was. Was it wood, straw, and hay? Or was it gold, silver, and precious stones? Was it a good work or was it not a good work? It will be tested. All the work that we've done will go through the fire. And that's what he's talking about here in verse 13. It will go through the fire. Then we'll see, it says, the type and the quality of the work slash materials that we used, either gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and straw. <laughs> That's what it will be revealed. We'll see. 
And as we know, as these types of materials go through the fire, we know that there's some that's going to make it out and some that's going to get consumed and get burned up. As we know, gold, silver, and precious stones would remain as it went through the fire. It would make it out. And this type of work would be symbolic of the work that we did for God, the good work, truly for him, to please him, to honor him, and to glorify him. That's what the gold, the silver, and the precious stones is, that's what that's symbolic of. Good work, work that is truly for the Lord. Verse 14 says, this is the type of work that will receive a reward. Work that was truly for him. Now, it's interesting, and I think we need to be encouraged and blessed by the simple fact that God's rewards are not performance-based. Understand that today, that God's rewards are not performance-based on how many people we lead to the Lord, or how many people we do, or none of that stuff matters. It's not performance-based, but it's the motivation of the heart. And Jesus taught a little bit about that in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 and 6. It'll be on the board, but Matthew 6, 5 and 6 says this. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they might be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their what? Reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what you've done in secret will reward you. And so it's a motivation. It's the heart. There was people that were going around doing things for the Lord, but it was from the wrong heart. So it wasn't for the Lord at all. It was for them, for them to be seen, for them to be lifted up, for them to be praised. It says they received their reward. You're not getting no reward for that. And that is absolutely amazing to think about. And it forces us and causes us to truly search our hearts. Check my motivation, Lord. Is it for you and is it for your people or is it for me? Because there's part of each and every single one of us that wants to be seen, that wants to be praised, but that part of us is the flesh. That part of us is the flesh that we need to put to death. It's not about us. We're no longer alive. The life that we live is now in Christ and it all needs to be for him, to glorify him and to please him. But it says hypocrites, they they want their rewards now. They want to be seen. They want to be praised. What a humbling thought that it is to be doing the right thing, but with the wrong heart and motivation. To be seen, to be lifted up, to be praised by men. I remember one of my dear friends early on, I used to serve with him in the ministry, and he was a a single man, and he had an eye for a young lady, man. And this lady was a godly, godly woman, and he knew he had to step his game up. And so he literally stepped his game up. And, you know, there'd be times during worship, you know, he'd be worshiping the Lord, and he'd find himself peeking out of his eye. She looking. He lo- <laughs> and all of a sudden, man, she, oh wow. So then he would have to do the ultra step. You know, it's like a fish, right? As soon as that fish, zzz, you gotta snatch it, right? And so he knows, I don't know nothing about fishing again. I just have heard that. I don't wanna pretend like I'm a fisherman either, okay? But so all of a sudden, but I've heard some stories, I've been around the world a few times. So all of a sudden, you gotta snatch it. So, oh my gosh, I got her attention. So he drops to his knees. Well, it worked, okay? She ended up marrying this man, but he just was so embarrassed because he was trying to appear and trying to look and trying to, trying to do something. It wasn't from a pure heart. His heart wasn't to worship the Lord. 
It was to gain some attention. His heart wasn't right. He was doing the right thing, maybe worshiping, but he was doing it to get her eyes and her attention, not the Lord's. And so it says those type of people, it's possible to do the right thing, but with the wrong heart. It says they've received their reward. How sad. And that's not what we want to be, and that's not what we want to do. That's not the type of work that we want to do for the kingdom, not to be seen. That's why I love, I love background ministries. I'm telling you right now, if you have a background ministry, if you're not in the forefront, I'm telling you, your rewards are going to be great because you are doing them unto the Lord. Man, I'm so thankful for the faithful women that come to this place on Thursday afternoon and pray for the church. Nobody knows about them. I call them SEAL Team 6. They just show up and just get in and get out. You know, they come in all camouflaged out. I'm like, whoa, what's going on? In and out. It blesses me that nobody knows when people come up to me and say, man, Pastor Eric, we're praying for you. I know you need it. And I said, what do you mean you know I need it? They're like, I know. I'm just kidding. I say, I say, thank you. Thank you so much. Intercessory prayer. They're going into their prayer closet. They're bringing out their big guns. Nobody sees it. Nobody knows. But God does. I mean, I'm telling you, their rewards are going to be great. People that are in the forefront, it's a, it's a struggle. Every single time before I get up in this pulpit, I pray, Lord, be glorified. It's not about me. It's about you and your people. Use me. Use me. I don't want to make it about me in any way, any shape, any form. And so we have to test ourselves. We have to search our heart to find out really what our motivation is and what we're about and what type of materials and what type of heart we're serving the Lord. Gold, silver, precious metals. Those are the things that are going to make it through. We also know that it would be impossible for the wood, the hay, and the straw to make it through the fire. And these are those types of work that would be um, symbolic of those things that we did for ourselves from, from the wrong heart. And how sad that would be. Making it about ourselves. Doing the right thing, but from the wrong heart, the wrong motivation. To find out that it just gets burned up. It just goes, and there's nothing left of it. Verse 15 says, this is the type of work of materials that would be burned up. The question is this that we have to ask ourselves this morning. What type of materials are we using, and what type of work are we doing? Lord, search your heart. Test our heart. Is it work that lasts? Is it work that gets burned up, or is it no work at all? Sadly, some of us are doing work from the wrong heart. Some of us are doing work from the right heart, and some are doing no work at all. So we've got to ask ourselves, what type of work are we doing, and what type of materials are we using? But notice in verse 15, even it says, the man's work that is burned up, he himself will be saved. Remember, the Bema seat is for believers to receive rewards for the work that we do on earth, not to deal with sin. And so even the work that's done from wrong heart, selfish, the man is still saved. How sad it would be, though, for anyone to stand before the beam of seat as a believer, ready to receive your rewards and everything that you've done, it goes through the fire and there's nothing there. Nothing comes out. Yeah, you would be saved. Yeah, you would spend eternity in a real place called heaven. You would have a saved life. But what a wasted life. Because you missed out on the joy of being God's fellow co-worker here on earth, building the kingdom. That is the joy. 
serving the Lord here now. That is the blessing that he gives to us. So it would be a saved life, but a wasted life. It's not just about the rewards in heaven. It's about the joy here on earth, serving people, building the kingdom, being a part of God's work. That's the blessing, and that's the joy. And so don't miss out on that at all. Thinking, okay, well, I'll get there. But no, it's not about getting there. It's about how you get there, what you do to build the kingdom. Jesus, in the parable in Matthew, he says he's going to go away. And he told his servants, do business until I come. That is our command, to be about our Father's business. Are we working? Are we about his business today? We have to ask ourselves these questions. And so as we see here very clearly, God will use the, bema, the fire in the bema seat to reveal what type of work that we did. And so fire will be that which reveals, to make our work evident. In a very similar way, God uses fire in our lives today to reveal things to us. And specifically, the fire that he uses is the fiery trials that he allows us to go through. Very, very clearly, 1 Peter chapter 4 says, Do not be surprised by the fiery trials that God allows us to go through, which come upon you for your testing. The same way the beam of seat will test our works through the fire to reveal and to make evident the type of work that we were doing, so too the fiery trials reveals and it tests us today. Now the fiery trials, they don't test the work that we do like the beam of seat, but I believe that they test and show and prove where we are in our relationship and our walk with God, the maturity where we're at. When the fire is turned up, when we're squeezed, what's inside is going to come out. And that testing reveals what's inside, areas we need to grow, areas we didn't know that were there. Now, again, the testing is for us. It's not for God. When God allows a fiery trial, he's not watching and says, oh, my gosh, I can't believe Eric failed that trial. No, he knows. It's not for him. It's, it's for us. And when we're tempted and tested, Going through the fire, we get squeezed and it reveals things. It shows things. What's going to come out? Are we going to turn to the Lord? Or are we going to turn away from the Lord? And there's times that test that we fail. And I'm so thankful, God, revealing that to me. Thank you so much for, for showing me. I didn't know that area was there. And so we need to thank God for the fiery trials. They test us and they show us. Now, this section of Scripture is, a very, very controversial one, and one with a lot of debate. And it really, from this section of Scripture, I believe births two major false teachings that I want to let us all know about. And I think the first one, the, the false teaching that comes from this, is the Catholics will use this section of Scripture to teach the doctrine of purgatory. This is where they build that doctrine from. And again, I'm not here to, to bash or to fight. I, I'm loving God, but that's what they will use this here. And what they will teach is that this fire, it isn't used to test the work that we do for God and um, to test and to reveal what type of work it is. They will teach that this is to test and to prepare for the afterlife. And that's what they use to teach this. And it's a false teaching that we need to be aware. So the doctrine of purgatory, it's birthed from right here. The other wrong teaching false teaching that comes from this is those who place a high emphasis upon works and deeds, work-based religion, working for your salvation. They'll take this scripture and try to teach that the rewards spoken about in verse 14, that they'll teach that is for salvation. The works for the Lord, they tie it in and say, working for your salvation. And 
works-based salvation, a works-based gospel. Both of these teachings are completely unbiblical. They have no standing in the scriptures. And ultimately, they're very, very dangerous because they take away from the finished work of the cross. And that is a great, great danger. If that was not, if, the, if the cross wasn't needed, then he wouldn't have sent the son. But that takes away from that. And so those are where those teachings come from. And so in closing, we have to ask ourselves a question. What foundation are we building upon? What foundation? And only we know, and we have to search our hearts and really truly and see. And if you're here today and you could say that God has truly saved your life, my encouragement, my exhortation, and my challenge is don't waste your life. Serve the Lord today. Be a fellow worker in building up his kingdom from a pure and sincere heart. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, God. We thank you so much for today, for waking us up and giving us life in that abundant and breath to come into this place and to worship you, Lord. And God, we're just so thankful that you inhabit the praises of your people, Lord, that you are here ministering and doing an amazing work, God. And I just pray that the word that went out, it would sink deep into our hearts, Lord, that we wouldn't be just hearers, that we would be doers of your word, God, and that we would search our heart. Say, what, what foundation are we building upon? Is it pure and sure and upon the rock which is you? Or is it other things, Lord, that are sinking sand? That's going to fail time and time again, Lord. God, I also just pray, Lord, that you would stir the people, each and every single one of us, stir our hearts this morning, Lord, to serve you with all fervency from a pure heart, God. Lord, we want to be about our Father's business. We want to do work until you come. Lord, we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with this. I'm going to give you more. Lord, we long to see you, and we long to stand before you at the Bema seat and receive the reward. It's not about the rewards, just knowing that we got to faithfully serve you. We were saved to serve. And so, Lord, we thank you for saving our life, and we do not want to waste our life. So give us a passion in these last days to serve you like never before from a pure heart. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. We all say amen. If you are here this morning and you haven't received Jesus, the judgment we talked about, the great white throne of judgment, that is something that you need to be aware of. For believers, there's no condemnation now or later to come, but for those who aren't in Christ, the Bible says it's appointed a man once to die and then the judgment. And so it's the decisions and the choices that we make here today that determines where we spend eternity in a real place called heaven, a real place called hell, separated from God. But God loves us so much. He doesn't want to be separated from us. He wants to deal with the issue of sin now. He already dealt with it by sending his son to die for the sins of the world. So that the separation from man and God doesn't have to be anymore. And so the choice is ours here today. Do we want to continue to be dead in our sins and trespasses? Or do we right here today want to begin to build a new foundation and storing up rewards and treasures in heaven? Deal with sin today. Repent. Repent from your sin. Turn away from your sin and turn towards the Lord. If you're here today and you want to make that decision, I want to give you that opportunity. He loves you. He died for you. And all you got to do is receive him by faith. 
That's where it begins. That's where the foundation, you place your faith. We're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Today, I want to give you the opportunity to turn your life around and over to Jesus and place your faith in him. You'll be forgiven. Be set free. You'll be delivered. The separation between you and God will be no more. It's only sin. So today is the day of salvation. I'm asking everybody to bow their heads and to close their eyes. And if you're here this morning and you no longer want to be separated from God and you believe that Jesus is the Christ and you want to receive him as your personal Lord and Savior today, you don't want to worry about the judgment to come. You don't want to continue to be dead in your sin. You want to be alive in Christ today. Today is the day I want to pray for you and I want to pray with you. And in a moment, if you're ready to make that decision, I'm going to ask you to stand and I'm going to pray with you. The reason I ask you to stand is Jesus says this, you confess me before man, I'll confess you before my Father who is in heaven. This is a safe place. You can have people praying for you, people rejoicing with you, angels in heaven rejoicing with you by the greatest decision you'll ever make is to stop running from God and run to God and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So if that's you here today, will you please just stand right now. Push yourself off that chair so I can pray for you and pray with you. Anybody here, please stand. done doing things my way. I want to begin to do things God's way. God bless you. I see you in the back. God bless you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Sarah, I want to receive Christ. I want to have life. All right. If you're watching online and you're ready to make this decision, you could say this prayer with me as well. You don't even have to say it out loud. Just mean it in your heart and say, Dear Lord Jesus, I have sinned and fallen short of your righteousness. Dear Jesus, please come into my heart and help me to live for you in all that I do. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I receive you now as my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. If you're here today and you're struggling anyway, there's a prayer room right here. People would love to pray for you, to pray with you. If you're burdened and heavy laden, man, go. Have somebody pray for you. And uh, if there's us here today who we've got to search our heart, who might be realizing that it's possible to be doing the right thing but with the wrong heart, the wrong motivation. I pray that we would meditate upon that because we don't want to have a wasted life. We want to serve the Lord from a pure heart. Amen? Let's stand for the final time.